This is episode 37 with Olympian, poet, writer, actor, and Greek national record holder, Alexi Pappas. Hey, hey, everyone, Jason here, and I hope you're all having a wonderful summer. I'm coming off a relaxing August, but really starting to hit my stride now, uh, both for my own running and for new coaching material that I'm planning uh, that's coming up both here on the podcast and also on uh, strengthrunning.com. So it's going to be a super busy fall, and I hope you'll come along for the ride. Uh, I'm going to be making another attempt uh, at the Manitou Incline here in Colorado, hopefully trying to get under 25 minutes. So I did this back in June in about 2940. And if you're not familiar, this incline is only nine-tenths of a mile long, but it gains nearly 2,000 feet of vertical. It's essentially a series of steps built into a a really steep mountainside. Uh, It's also around six to 8,000 feet altitude. So uh, it's really challenging. You can barely run any of it. Um, And here's some perspective. The fastest known time is 1745 by Joseph Gray, and he's an elite mountain runner. And get this, the average grade is 40.3%. It's just unreal, and I can't wait to give it another go. All right, so on to our topic today. We are speaking with Alexi Pappas, who is one of the more interesting characters in the sport of track and field. She's a Greek-born Olympic-level distance runner, specializes in the 10,000 meters. She holds the Greek national record in that distance. She was also a multiple All-American for Dartmouth and an Ivy League champion in the 3,000-meter steeplechase, one of my favorite events. But she's also so much more than just a runner, which is really why I wanted to chat with her. She wrote and starred in the film Tracktown, which is semi-autobiographical, and she's also performed improv comedy in L.A. And as a writer, she's also written regular columns for women's running and even a one-act play. And if you've ever seen her, you'll inevitably notice her signature bun bobbing on top of her head as she runs. Or if you follow her on Twitter, you probably know that she answers many fans with haikus. And so at the end of our conversation, I tried my own hand at my own haiku. So I hope you enjoy that and get a good laugh from it. I am not a poet. And uh, before we move on to that, a big thanks to today's sponsor, Inside Tracker. They're an interesting company that provides athletes with a blood testing service that catches all kinds of different deficiencies and gives you both diet and lifestyle suggestions to fix those deficiencies. So uh, you all can perform better and race faster. And they're offering 10% off any test at insidetracker.com with the code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. All right, let's get to it today. Please enjoy my conversation with Ms. Alexi Pappas. Hey, Alexi, excited to have you here. Hello, thank you for having me. So I think this is going to be an interesting conversation, uh, and I think it will be because I don't consider you just another pro runner. We're not here to talk about you know, your 100-mile training weeks or Olympic performances or anything like that. You're also a poet, an actor, a writer, and a prolific haiku poet on Twitter, I might add. So <laughs> this is going to be fun. Thank you. Yes, I um, I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you're not just a runner, are you? But also a runner. Also a runner, of course. Uh, well, this is the Strength Running Podcast, so we are going to talk a little bit about running. Um, so 
you know, there's so much we could probably go over today, but probably a good place to start is high school. Um, how'd you get into running back then in the first place? Was it love at first run? No, it wasn't love at first run for me, actually. Um, so when I was a young athlete, I played all sorts of sports, um, grew up playing competitive softball, basketball, really competitive soccer until I went to college, actually, and all sorts of sports. And the running sort of shined through as one of my strengths in all of those sports. And so I joined the track team in middle school, which was fun. It was fun. We didn't really practice. We had these meets at this dirt track at a local high school. And we, I think I raced in like just, you know, these co-ed races, uh, you know, 880, I think, 440, you know, those kind of uh, measurements and distances. And it, that was really fun. Um, yeah, that's old high, school. Yeah. And so I enjoyed that. Uh, but in high school, I ran just my freshman and sophomore year and did not love it. I was really good at it. Um, one of the top runners in California, but I didn't have that sense of team or motivation or joy that I had in other sports, particularly soccer. Um, and so I did it, uh, in those first two years of high school, but my junior and senior year of high school, our coaches, uh, I didn't find them to be the most like positive influences on us. And one of the things that they wanted was for us to really specialize in running and quit the other sports we were doing. And at age 16, I just wasn't ready to do that. And so uh, a number of us were given an ultimatum of quitting, you know, every other sport, not being involved in student council. I was like class vice president and loved that too. And, you know, no theater, none of that stuff. And I just wasn't ready to do that. And so I got kicked off my team my junior year and then again my senior year. So I didn't – I wasn't a bad kid. I just wasn't ready to – I didn't understand why I had to specialize at that age when I wasn't ready to. And I was still committed to my running team. I just was enjoying the other sports as well. And so I didn't run – basically all of my junior and senior year of high school and then was still recruited to run in college based on my freshman and sophomore year performances and had the opportunity to go and visit you know all the all of my dream schools really and found Dartmouth was this place where the coach there Maribel who I absolutely adore and has since passed away unfortunately um, she and the team there felt like the teams that I had in soccer and other sports. And so I thought I had this curiosity for running, but I wanted to find an environment that felt like the teams that I'd grown up with. Yeah. That's really yeah. interesting to hear that you actually quit running for a few years before going to college. Now, do you think all of the sports participation in the sports outside of running helped your your running and, and running development later in your life? Or do you think you might have actually been a better runner if you had run those couple of years? 
No, hundred percent. I'm uh, I'm the better runner now because of those experiences. And I'll add that I did not quit running. I was definitely kicked off because I would have definitely run my junior and senior year of high school if I was allowed to, given my uh, my want to do these other things in high school. But I was like not allowed to. So I think in terms of what those other sports did for me, you know, in soccer, I was on the, the Northern California Olympic development state team. So it was, that's like the best soccer players in California, um, at my age group. And so I was, you know, tough, tough girl. And I think those other sports taught me, I mean, one, I think body development wise, I've faced the kind of dynamic athletic uh, experiences that other sports provide at a young age. And so I think development wise, it's helped me not have any kind of stress fracture issues or anything like that. But also, um, you know, those two years off were really great for me, I think, to develop into a female athlete. So I think those freshman and sophomore year of high school, I was really successful, but I was uh, kind of a prepubescent, you know, still kind of a kid running and had talent. But when I had those two years off, my body grew into more of a meaty soccer player type. And I went through puberty and all that. And I think to allow the time to really let my bones and let my everything grow without the intense mileage allowed my body to be that much stronger when I got to Dartmouth and beyond. So I wouldn't have wished those years off for myself, but I know that they contributed to my longevity in the sport now. You know, we just had on the podcast an orthopedic surgeon, uh, and, and this might actually have been last week. And the topic that we discussed was injury prevention for younger athletes. And one of the issues that we kept coming back to time and time again is that while spe- specialization is going to help you, I think, achieve your potential, it is not the greatest thing to do as a younger athlete because, you know, it, running in particular is kind of a two-dimensional sport. You know, you're, you're either running straight ahead or if you're on the track, you know, you're running around in a circle and you're not moving in multiple planes of motion. You're not moving as dynamically as you would if you were changing directions and moving laterally. Um, and so you're, you're definitely not the first person I've heard talk about that. And, and I think it's really, uh, I think, powerful to hear it from a professional runner who didn't run for a couple of years. And, and you also, by the way, might be the only pro runner I've ever talked to that has been kicked off a track team. So uh, c- congratulations on that. Uh, yeah. That's certainly a, an interesting accomplishment there. Yeah. And, you know, when I got to Dartmouth, I was the worst on the team and probably, I think I was the worst in the league and the worst in broader categories than that. And so it was really tough to to find myself across the country coming from California to New Hampshire and to barely be able to run four miles without walking. Uh, So it was like a very challenging transition from not running to running again. But I remember my dad just telling me to keep showing up every day. And 
I did and didn't take any shortcuts. And it, it took a few years, the few years that I was out of the sport to get back into a position of, you know, even scoring a team point or anything like that. So it certainly wasn't a traditional college collegiate career either, I think, because of that and, and challenging, but totally uh, amusing and, and wonderful. I really relate to what your dad told you because my mother told me the same thing about cross country in high school when I showed up thinking it was going to be like track and I would high jump and I quickly learned that, oh, there's no field events whatsoever. And I was telling her, oh, I don't want to do this. All they do is run around all day. Like, can you think of anything just sillier <laughs> than that? And she said, you know what? Just keep showing up. Let's just give it a little while and, and see how it goes. And it was the best decision uh, that I ever made. And I think that's great advice for anyone who is coming back to running after a long period of time off or they're just getting started with running. Just show up. Put in the work. Don't mm -hmm. take any shortcuts. And uh, you're going you're gonna to get there. Now, so you went to Dartmouth. It's funny. I, I went to the Dartmouth cross-country camp uh, one summer between my, uh, I believe it was let's see, between my junior, no, I'm sorry, my sophomore and junior year. So this was probably 1998 or no, no, that's too late. Maybe it was 2000 um, or, or 2001. Uh, so the, the campus is absolutely stunning and you have some amazing trails nearby for running. Yeah, we do. You know, I think that that's one of the greatest gifts about going to Dartmouth was that the whole place felt like a big summer camp. So from, you know, from running in the woods to going and jumping in the river after runs, it, it was very nurturing to young athletes and like the energy of cross country in particular. Of course, there were also the winters there, which were really a shock to me at first. Coming from California, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, that's one of those things that had I been more prepared mentally, it would have been fine. I just didn't have any idea what cold was. And I didn't realize, you know, the demands of wanting, you know, needing to take vitamin D. I didn't even know about that until maybe my sophomore year of high school. So I just, I was kind of a late bloomer, I learned things a little later, uh, and sometimes the hard way. Now, at what point did you start thinking, hey, I might be able to do this as an elite athlete? Was it uh, a particular race or season? And then, you know, because I'm sure, you know, you said it took a couple of years to really get back into things. If if you didn't go pro, were you thinking about doing something other uh, with your life, other career opportunities? Certainly. So I think the first turning point that I had, um, which which really allowed me to believe myself believe in myself as a collegiate runner was my sophomore year. Um, Dartmouth has a unique program where sophomores stay on campus the summer after their sophomore year. And that allows students to be on campus with just their grade, but it also allows you to take off presumably a cold New Hampshire winter else time. And so I took off the winter of my sophomore year and got some support from Dartmouth to do some improv theater in LA. And also I met up with a group in LA called the Janes, which are an adult elite running club in, uh, based in Santa Monica. And they kind of took me in as their guest athlete. 
And I could not keep up with these women. These were women who worked full-time jobs and woke up at 6 a.m. to do these hard workouts. And I woke up early and tried to run with them every day. And that term kind of allowed me to believe in myself as an athlete. One, because I was, I'd never trained with people not my own age before. I'd never known that people run kind of by choice and for pleasure like that. Like they really were taking time out of their busy work days to train. So it was just inspiring to be around these women. And so that allowed me to return to Dartmouth and have an impact on the team. And then Another, um, I guess the moment, you know, towards the end of my career, I started to actually be able to contribute to the team points. And that was really meaningful to me and to have an impact as a steeplechaser, which helped, it helped that I had the soccer background to get over the hurdles, despite my poor hurdling. Um, But the moment that I decided to continue running was actually um, towards the end of my senior year, I was applying to grad school for poetry and I got fortunately full ride and, and, uh, you know, incredible opportunities at the top poetry schools in the country, several of them. And I was very close to going to grad school for poetry and dedicating my life to that when uh, a teammate of mine named Matt told me that he was thinking about using some eligibility and going to Oregon and would I consider that and I had the term that I took off that winter when I went to LA and I also had a cross-country season from my freshman fall because I was I guess I was injured with shin splints I really just was not good enough to be at any of the meets with the team and so I had a couple seasons and he convinced me to at least visit Oregon and I felt very ill when I turned down my grad school acceptances to go to Oregon, which I am thrilled about. It was a life-changing experience, but it was a challenge to give up those opportunities. And I applied again the following year and got into a number, the same programs again with full support and then turned them down again um, to join the Oregon track club elite in Eugene and train as a runner and part of the reason I did that was with the support of my poetry advisor at Dartmouth there's a woman named Cynthia Huntington and she said that there's this unique window of time for me to pursue my body and mind's you know capabilities at once and that the rest of my life I could you know dedicate to the poetry or whatever creative writing I might want to do. And so it was with her confidence that I believed that this was a worthy, you know, choice to make and just to give it a shot. But it was really hard to turn down some of those academic opportunities. Oh, I'm sure. And this is, you know, one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk with you today. I'm so excited to because you're involved in just so many other things outside of running. And I think anyone who's who's trained really hard knows how difficult that can be when you're putting in all the work and you're, you know, 
fatigued a lot of the time. So last year you debuted the movie Track Town, which is semi-autobiographical. You've written regular columns for uh, women's running. You've done improv comedy in Los Angeles. You did. Um, you co-wrote a feature-length film, and you wrote a one-act play. Uh, so you know, would you describe yourself as a runner or an artist or both, or is running part of being an artist? I would describe myself as both. Um, it's always been important to me to have my running accolades and, and commitment stand on its own and, and same with the creative pursuits, meaning I wanted to be an Olympian regardless of how successful my film was. And I wanted the film work and whatever creative work that I do to be successful regardless of my running accomplishments. And it's been a real privilege to be able to have those worlds overlap, particularly with Tracktown. Uh, but it's always been important to me to have my performances speak for themselves and to have my work, my writing speak for itself too. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, and it seems to me that your two favorite forms of expression, uh, if, if that's the right word, are uh, writing and and running. Does that seem fair? And, and do you think, you know, while they are obviously separate things, do you think they influence one another? Yeah. So I think for now, the writing is certainly the main outlet. And, and I love to write. I love the way that words and things sound to me. Um, so I like words a lot. And in terms of how the two interact with each other, I think one of the things that people have uh, told me about writing and running that I didn't believe in my the beginning of my journeys in both of those, but now understand is that both writing and running are learned disciplines. So we can be born with certain gifts as a runner, certain gifts as a writer, but there's a whole school you can go to in running by learning, by watching, by training with people who you admire and you can put in the time and get something out of it. And same with the writing at first at Dartmouth, I tried to put in, you know, 30 minutes here and there in writing. And my advisor was finally like, you have to sit down for six hours to get like one decent poem. Like you can't do this. So so fragmented and so I understood that like putting in the time in writing and reading about other you know it, it, they were both these like learned things that I could uh grow and learn and and I've never thought about writing and running in that way until more recently and I love that looking at all these different things that you're doing um and and even kind of drawing from my own experience with uh, involvement in, you know, just having a job as, you know, a, a high school and college student. And I was involved in student government in college. Um, and, and there were people who gave, gave a lot of pushback to that because I think there's this mentality in the running world that if you are going to chase your potential, then you have to do it a hundred percent and there's no room for anything else. Um, have you ever gotten any pushback from folks who think that you should focus more time on your running at the expense of some of your other pursuits? Certainly. I think there are people who see it as a huge challenge, but I have prioritized the running is the thing. Like if you look at my daily schedule, 
it's structured around the running. Like the nap takes priority over the film, you know, meeting. The meeting is scheduled around the nap. The nap we call a meeting so that the film meeting is not offended by the fact that I'm asleep during a certain (laughs) period of time. Yeah. I think that's something I learned from Ryan Hall to Uh, just call it meetings. Naps business meetings. Exactly, exactly. And he's um he's been really supportive of me and and I've admired him from afar certainly so so if you look at my schedule I think it seems like ah she's like doing everything at once but like really I'm like very concentrated on you know being in practice when I'm at practice working on the film when I'm working on the film and uh and so I think if you looked at my day it wouldn't look so wildly discombobulated it looks pretty organized and in terms of feedback from other people I remember after my race in Rio um Mark Rowland who is my I guess my first professional coach on the Oregon Track Club Elite he wasn't my coach during my time in Rio but he congratulated me and that meant a lot to me because I know that a coach like that is really really accomplished and it's because he himself committed himself to the sport and his athletes are you know pretty full-time committed to their sport and so I I do feel like I've been able to accomplish things that were really great and and been able to find synergy with the creative pursuits rather than uh, conflict. Well I was going to ask about that Uh, just your general philosophy on uh, running and having these other pursuits and, you know, it, it's clear that you're able to do both well. Um, but do you think success is more about balance or happiness or prioritizing one at all times? Like, how do you think about that? I think the most important thing for any to be successful in anything is to have the goal. So create a goal, think of a goal, write it down, and then commit to the space and time and that it takes to get from you from where you are to the goal so to kind of you know let's say your goal is a race that is two months from now that's like the peak so I would say that the the most important thing is not to check in and out of why did I make this goal what's going on or or check up on it during that time. Like it's to commit to it on day one and get into that incubator and just like do what it is every day. And within that two months, there's going to be those ups and down days or, you know, things happen unexpectedly, but it doesn't mean that you reevaluate the fundamental goal or your journey to it. Um, And I've seen teammates who will question a workout while they're in a workout. And it's like, you're like that's makes things so difficult whether it's a running goal or a creative goal like once you're in it and you have you have this thing in mind just like give yourself the chance to do it so i think that is uh super important can i can i give a little pushback to that are is there mm-hmm. room for flexibility in that kind of a mindset yeah like if if things come up where, you know, like an injury or you're truly having a change of heart, like fine, but, but making sure that those check-ins are happening at, at, at 
thoughtful intervals. So if, if it's an athletic goal, check in with coach once a week. Have that meeting be scheduled at a time that's not practice so that you don't have the breakdown and the questioning in the middle of the workout, but rather, I mean, and if you're going to get pulled from a workout, hopefully you have a coach that's going to pull for you, pull you, or you pull yourself, that's fine. But in terms of reevaluating a fundamental goal, I think that's a thing not to do every day. Right. I would say it's something that you have to do at, at periodic intervals after a lot of reflection and questioning a workout mid workout. I can't imagine a harder thing to be thinking about that is going to make that workout more challenging to complete. That's not the time for that. Totally. So I want to ask you about something you put on Twitter recently. Uh, you said uh, you must make believe before you can achieve. Is this a better sounding version of fake it till you make it? Uh, and, and do you think more runners should make believe in their own abilities? Yes. You have to pretend before you are for sure. Like, you know, like even when I remember some of the first races at Dartmouth when I was last or crawled across the finish line at like my first Ivy League Heps, which was my sophomore year, is horrible. But on the start line, I mentally knew where I wanted to be and my body wasn't caught up with my mind yet, but I pretended for as long as I could that I was what I would like to become. And that can be like an everyday thing of, you know, there's a senior on the team that always cuts her tank her shirts into a tank top. And so I did that and felt like I was a little bit like her every day or, you know, just kind of imitating people you admire is a really great way to get there. Um, and so I think that, yeah, you have to like make believe and pretend you're something you're not until you are. I think it's important. And I'm a big proponent of this because I think a lot of, uh, runners and, and people in general are their own biggest critic and their own biggest, uh, doubter. So there's a lot of this self doubt going on that I think if you just had a little bit of, of bravado and, uh, self-belief in your abilities, even if you're believing in abilities that don't yet exist, then I, I think a lot of runners will, will be better off. And it, it does, I'll, I'll say this, it gives you a little bit more oomph to get through some hard times. Cause I remember my freshman year in college, uh, I, I had this Achilles injury that I couldn't shake for a while and I was able to do some training, but I was just in terrible shape. And you know, at the tail end of the season, I was able to run a couple of races and I was running so slow that my coach is on the sidelines asking me if he wanted to pull me from the race. And, uh, I remember it was a 5k, uh, you know, it was not even halfway through. And I looked over and I said, no, I'm fine. I just can't run any faster. So it was this really dark point in my life where I, I was running slower than I did in high school, but knowing that I was better than what I was displaying on that particular day and knowing that I would get back there and just having this belief in that, you know, long-term process saved me because if I looked at that one season and thought, well, this is just what college track is going to be, then I would have just hung up my spikes right then and there and probably never run a, another race. So I think it's a really powerful mindset to have, not just to get to that next level, but also just to get through any kind of rough patch you might be having in your life. I think so too. And, you know, to, to add to how to, 
to be, how to literally be in those periods of time when you're not where you're, where you would like to be yet. Um, I think it's super important to always find ways to contribute. So if you're not contributing to the team score, finding value on the team, finding value in other ways, like being the most positive person on the team or being, you know, the ringleader for the burger night or whatever, like be matter, just matter until you matter in the way that you want to matter. I love that. That is so important. And I think, I think what essentially you're saying is if you can't be involved with, you know, whether it's a team or whether it's even just, you know, your own running in terms of like setting personal bests. Um, if you can't do that, then do something else that's still important. Um, maybe you volunteer at a race. Uh, maybe you help your your slower friend with some of their workouts while you're still getting back into shape. Um, essentially giving back. And I think that's a, a powerful way to connect with the sport and get you through some of those periods of time where, you know, you're not at the top of your game and you're not feeling the best. You're not running your personal bests. Uh, and, and I think we always need those, those pick-me-ups uh, during those darker times. So let's get to some fun questions. Um, I have a bunch here, and uh, these are short questions. Your answers don't have to be short, but uh, I think this will be a lot of fun. So what is your favorite all-time workout? Let's see. I, let me think. Well, is this a specific, like a specific experience that I've had? Sure. You can take this any direction you want. So one of my favorite workouts was last fall. Um, This past fall, I was training in Mammoth Lakes and Sarah Hall was training there too. And we were living together at this house in Mammoth called The Crib that hosts elite athletes. And we did this, um, this uphill tempo together. And um, her husband, Ryan, biked with us with this music. And it was like really cool because you're climbing from 8,000 feet up to this summit called Minaret Summit. And I don't even know what the elevation is there. But you really can't breathe at all, like, the whole time. And I didn't even know Sarah that well then. But it's just about getting up. That's, like, the point is just to, like, complete it. And I just remember, like, how fun it was because we were never going super fast at any one moment. But it just, like, hurt the whole time. And Ryan was playing his music in his, like, pocket or something and just saying, like, silly things. And for us... I felt like it was the greatest way to become fast friends and fast teammates was to do something like that together um, where, I don't know, we just, we didn't like leave each other's side. So it was really, it felt like a team effort and it felt like we just kept putting one foot in front of the other because the other person was. And when we got to the top is like this gorgeous view over basically Yosemite almost that's that's kind of what that view is and you're just totally out of breath and totally like you're running up to like the top of the ski mountain um but in the fall so there's no snow yet and it was just like great because I've admired Sarah you know for a long time and just felt like I was with some 
form of a teammate for that workout that I was terrified for. Yeah, and it's not easy running at those altitudes. That's uh, that's hard. I mean, not only is, is tempo run is challenging, an uphill tempo is even more challenging. And then you're throwing in all this altitude, and and that's certainly a, a big wrench into the whole uh, into the whole workout. I was just up in Dillon, Colorado, where we were just over nine thousand feet, and you know, it seems like you you know go up a short flight of stairs, and you're already gasping for breath. So it's just really hard to run up there. Yeah, right. yeah. Let's see. What's your favorite race distance? The yeah. 10K right now, the 10K on the track. It's the longest distance on the track. Um, and r- right now, that's my favorite because it feels like the greatest, you know, challenge of mind and body at the same time. I think, you know, I've never run a half marathon or a marathon yet, but I hope that those that those might become my more favorite distances in the future. But for now, I love the 10K. Now, do you like it because it's it's kind of a grind? I mean, this is 25 laps on a 400-meter outdoor track. I have never run a 10K on a track. I, I specifically told my coach, absolutely not. I'll, I'll stick to the 5K and shorter. But uh, it, is it just because it's, it's kind of mentally and physically challenging that you like it? Yeah, it... You know, the 10K was the first event on the track that I really felt myself in. I don't know how to put it any other way besides that when I'd run, you know, I didn't I didn't try the 10K until I was 25, maybe. And prior to that, I had done mostly the steeple, some miles, a couple 5Ks. But I felt like myself in the race. So that was one thing. As far as like the monotony of 25 laps around the track, I've I've come up with ways to to handle it in a way that um, I find like very entertaining and very amusing. Like there are times in the race when my goal is simply to do as little work as possible and to just be with the like the wave that I'm in, whatever you know, whatever the group is or whatever the pace is that I'm meant to run. And then there are times in the 10K when you can take your own like initiative and control the pace a little bit more later in the race and then just holding on. And as you said, it's, I mean, it's a painful race. It's really a race of attrition. And so I like that it's more about hanging on than some like crazy, there are always like crazy heroic kicks in these championship races, but fundamentally the 10 K is about hanging on. And that feels very much in line with how I like to go about things in life. Well, I think if you like that and that race really speaks to you and embodies you as a runner, then you're going to love the longer stuff out on the roads because I think that, especially the marathon, you know, in terms of uh, a race that really forces you to just hang on at the end, uh, I think when you finally do your first marathon, I think you're really going to like it. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. Let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Um you know, I know that you're you're a writer and a poet, uh, so I'd love to know what was the last book that you read or are currently reading. Yeah, so let me see if I can. I want to make sure I get the. I'm going to walk around with you to make sure I have the. I make sure that I have the title right. I've got a stack of books next to my bed. So I love to hear. So yeah, I okay. So it's funny because I went. I've been like buying a lot of books on my Kindle, but I went on this trip recently and there was a Barnes and Noble and I decided to 
buy a bunch of like hardcover books that my literary agent recommended and it was so fun to come home with like all of these books which real like, books do you know yeah, there are kids books today that have never been in, in a bookstore that's crazy so okay so this book that i just finished is called you'll grow out of it by jesse klein um and i loved it it's a book of essays and it was the right book to read at the right time. It was just a great one. Awesome. I'm not familiar with it, but I'll check it out. Um, now, let's say let's say you go back to your high school cross country team. Uh, what would be, you know, in your mind, one of the top messages that you could share with them? Let's see. I'm actually in Mammoth right now, and there's a lot of high school teams that come here, so I'm in I'm in high school mode, which is fun. I think that if if the high school team has like a good energy and feels like a team to work hard for, just to enjoy that and to have goal like to have your goal be to contribute to the team. Like that's just the most wonderful goal in the world and it's a goal that you can only definitely have on a high school or college team. So I think just if you can channel your goals towards team team goals, that's a really powerful thing. And that all of us probably post-collegiately are just trying to recreate those like team environments anyway. So that's one thing. And then I really think just like imitating the people that you look up to and trying to become whatever it is that you would like to become by, by doing that. That was always very helpful for me. Yeah, we're coming back to you must make believe before you can achieve. Yes, yes. Keeping right. consistent on on message here. <laughs> uh, so, what's next for you this this summer and and fall? So let's see. This fall, um, I'm going to be training. I'm training here in Mammoth, which is amazing, and I'm super excited because we have a bunch of amazing women coming out to train here and so like including Sarah again and others and I'll let the others announce themselves but I'm pumped to just have like a fall of base building where I'm learning from some of these incredible women and just like trying to do what they do every day and what's your next race are you racing fall or is that strictly a base phase for you I, I'm going to make plans soon, but I'm not sure yet. You're not I sure. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be races, but I've, our, uh, I think we're going to regather with coach and make goals here when, uh, like early September comes. Sounds good. Well, whatever that race might be, uh, I wish you the best of luck, not only with your, with the race, but also all your training and, and, uh, base training that you have coming up over in Mammoth. That sounds like just a great opportunity. It's like, you know, coming back to your college cross country days where you're just with your, you know, relatively small team and you're just grinding through all the training. I just look back on that myself as one of the happiest, you know, times of my life. And so I hope, I hope you really enjoy it. Thank you. I'm, I'm so excited. So, uh, for our listeners who are interested in learning more about you, learning more about your running and also your other, uh, creative pursuits, where can we learn more about everything Alexi. I think 
Twitter is the best place for me right now to update people on things. So just my just my Twitter. And, and what is I your guess Twitter handle? In, just so that we have it. My Twitter handle is at Alexi Pappas, A-L-E-X-I, Pappas, P as in potatoes, A-P-P-A-S. Well, that was easy. And yes, and it's the same for Instagram. Perfect. So Alexi, uh, dork, dork alert, uh, I wrote a short haiku. Alexi, you turned this fun podcast potato into magic. Thanks. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Pretty and, good, um, right? I'm not yeah, a poet, excellent. but I did my best. <laughs> no, amazing, amazing. All right, Alexi, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, and it was great chatting with you. Great chatting with you too. Thank you. Boom. There's my conversation with the one and only Ms. Alexi Pappas. She's awesome to follow on Twitter, so definitely find her there. Her handle is simply at Alexi Pappas. Uh, let her know that you liked her chat with me on the Strength Running Podcast, and you never know. She might reply with a haiku. This show wouldn't have been possible to produce without our sponsor, Inside Tracker. They're a health analytics company that tests for over 50 major blood biomarkers. And based on your personal physiology, they offer custom solutions to help you optimize any areas that are outside of the normal zones. So if you're training for a difficult race, or if you want to ramp up your recovery, or you're just a passionate running geek like me who's always searching for more ways to improve, you can get 10% off any test at insidetracker.com with code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. Now, it's not case-sensitive, and you can use it for any uh, of their different tests, any tier. So they have a really affordable DIY kit, and they have a, a more expensive ultimate package. Just use code STRENGTHRUNNING to get your 10% savings at insidetracker.com. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you are well. I hope you are running superbly right now. And as always, please get in touch if you have any questions or feedback. I'm always available to help.